My name is Rob Katz. I'm the CEO of Val Resorts, and I want to welcome you to Epic by Nature. Around the world, across all of our resorts, we have employees who are experiencing their own epic journeys. Employees who are the heroes of their own stories, who constantly challenge themselves to give more, to do more, to be more. We developed this podcast so that we can share their journeys and the journeys of our guests, our mountains, and our communities, all of which are truly epic by nature. We have to be ambitious and we have to be accountable to one another as a team. We're together in this as a community, as a mountain, as a resort network, and it just makes me feel part of something bigger. I want to win, but more than that, way more than that. I want my team to win. We have always been very innovative and I think that is why we are leaders. I found that there was a much greater value in we than in me. Snow farmer. That was my job. In 2006, when I became CEO of Vale Resorts, countless people told me I was just becoming a snow farmer. If it snowed, we would do well. If it didn't snow, we would do poorly. Just a fact of life. People said ski resorts were not great businesses. And with the up and down of snowfall, tough to make long-term investments. In the good years, you try and make as much money as you can. And in the bad years, you just tighten your belt and hope to make it through. But was there another paradigm? Solving seemingly unsolvable problems, exploring answers to difficult questions has been driving innovation for centuries. A decade ago, we wanted to see if we could find a way to add stability to the ski business, to change our long-term relationship with our guests and try and leave the snow farming behind. At the time, the strategy of our company and our industry was to generate as much revenue as possible from window ticket sales. Inevitably, we would generate the highest sales on the best powder days, and that made sense. When we had perfect snow on a Saturday morning, there were plenty of people who wanted to spend all day on the mountain. And while we didn't want to stop our guests from skiing powder days, we also knew that to improve the stability and predictability of our business, we had to ask guests to commit to us before they knew what the conditions were going to be. But how were we going to get guests to do that? What was in it for them? We knew we had to make it attractive to our guests to make a fairly sizable financial commitment ahead of the season, before they knew the snow conditions or even where they wanted to ski. But what were we willing to give up to make that happen? What risk were we willing to take? Our answer to that was the Epic Season Pass, a new product that provided the flexibility to ski any of our mountains all season long at a drastically reduced price. We made a deal with our guests to provide unlimited, unrestricted access to all of our mountains at a massive 66% discount, so long as they committed to us ahead of the season. A 66% discount. We didn't know it then, but our idea was going to revolutionize our company and ultimately the whole industry. Chris Charneau, Currently Executive Vice President, Mountain Division, oversees our five Colorado resorts 
and three Australian resorts. Chris's career with Vail Resorts has spanned over 30 years, having worked at Beaver Creek during college breaks, doing everything from guest services to loading skis and buses. Chris eventually joined as an intern in the marketing division in 1989 and worked his way up to running marketing. He was chief marketing officer at the time when we were exploring the idea for the pass and was instrumental in shaping the concept. Chris remembers well our strategy at the time. Each resort had its own advertising campaign that we were using to generate business every single week, all season long, and get guests to come and buy their skiing. You know, we were using different discount programs, you know, everything from go buy your ticket for a discount at a grocery store to distributing coupons in the newspapers to, you know, all those kinds of discount approaches and advertising every single week all season long on TV to get you to come up this weekend or this week and go get your ticket at King Supers and bring it up and and ski at Breckenridge or Keystone or Beaver Creek or Vail. In the late 1990s, a number of Colorado resorts, including ours, began to offer a lower-priced season-long product. But with five resorts on our pass, we had a real advantage. The pass proved popular. But initially, we restricted access. We were nervous we would jeopardize our window ticket revenue stream. Rebecca McDonald is the Director of Product Sales and Services for Vail Mountain. She has been with our company since 1998 and has seen the evolution of the pass concept from the beginning. That Colorado pass, um, you had to buy in person. You could not buy it online. It was fenced. And in the early 2000s, selling the Colorado Pass, right before the deadlines hit, we would have lines that went from the Lion's Head Pass office through the Lion's Head Village all the way out to the bus stop with people trying to transact their passes before the deadline. We did not want a lot of people to purchase it. That was outside the Colorado market. And I have memories of guests calling the call center asking what the deadline was so we could help them make their travel arrangements to fly in from Kansas or fly in from Nebraska or fly in from wherever they were coming just to buy that Colorado Pass. The Colorado Pass helped provide stability from our local guests, but the vast majority of our revenue came from out-of-state guests, and they were still paying top dollar for lift tickets. Historically, we were not willing to put that revenue at risk. But what if we did? What would happen if we drastically reduced the price of skiing and riding for our out-of-town guests? We needed to answer that question. So we got to work and started the analysis. And there was so much at risk, we knew we would need a lot of support for the decision. We were really working hard to get a lot of guest research done, doing all these anonymous surveys of, of customers about discount season passes and, and, you know, at what price and what value and really worked through it. And I think more than any other decision that the company had made to that point, acquisitions included, th- this decision was researched as well as any of those and, and better. And I don't know that any of us were completely comfortable, but we were all betting our jobs that this was going to be a success. We were taking a leap of faith, but it was a leap of faith underpinned by modeling and analytics that was telling us this would work. Even so, not everyone agreed. Inside the company, there was concern about the crazy low price and getting all our resorts to align 
around one pass product for all of them. How would the brand of this new product interact with their own brand? And whose customer would these new pass holders be? It was the first time we truly asked our resorts to join together and get behind a unified approach to our guests. We all were uncomfortable. The board was certainly right in there with us that they were not sure that we weren't making maybe the biggest mistake that the company had ever made. We all held hands and took the leap and moved forward with planning the launch, including coming up with the name, the Epic Season Pass. In our opening podcast, I explained our choice of the word epic, defined in the dictionary as extending beyond the usual or ordinary, especially in size and scope. We used epic because we were trying to describe just how much the Epic Season Pass offered. The sheer acreage, the number of resorts and different experiences, the variety, the uniqueness of all the different places you could go with an Epic Season Pass. It was the perfect description of our new product. In January of 2008, just a few months prior to the launch of the pass, Chris was appointed the COO of Vail Mountain and was uniquely placed to contend with both the community and guest reaction to the launch. He remembers launch day well. The phones exploded, of course. People didn't believe it. They thought it was a typo. They were trying to find out how they could buy one before we corrected the typo. I mean, we had people who had paid four times as much for a season pass that they were using this season and they could spend one fourth of that next year and get the same value. And it was crazy and incredibly strong reactions positive, negative, confused, you know, certain that we had made a mistake, every reaction that you can imagine. You might think that everyone would be thrilled about us reducing the price of skiing, but many in the local communities were not so happy. There was concern about overcrowding the resorts, that the lower price would introduce a new kind of guest to the mountain. The word riffraff was used to describe who might now be showing up to Vail Mountain. So the community at Vail thought, oh my God, they're selling us out. It's unlimited, unrestricted. It's this cheap price. I literally had a town council person from the Vail Town Council say to me, will anyone ever ski at Copper Mountain again? They'll only come to Vail. We're going to have 100,000 people here trying to ski on our mountain at Vail. What are we going to do about that? There was hysteria that we were going to overwhelm ourselves and, and they really didn't understand and wouldn't believe how we had so carefully researched and studied and crafted this idea and that it was going to work for us the way that we intended. Fortunately, our resort communities have come to appreciate the benefit of the pass and understand that making skiing cheaper is a good thing and how the experience can and will be protected. We saw great success with the pass in the first few years, but we also realized that this was not a product that could completely sell itself. It was a complete change in mindset. Most of our out-of-town guests thought only locals should buy a season pass, and we needed to change that thinking. It was about this time in 2011 that Kirsten Lynch joined our company as the chief marketing officer. Kirsten grew up in downtown Chicago and honed her skills through positions at Ford Motor Company and Kraft Foods before being named CMO for a division of PepsiCo. 
Despite all her success, Kirsten and her family were ready for a lifestyle change. So both she and her husband quit their jobs, packed up, and moved their family to Boulder. I met Rob through a mutual friend, and he was looking for a CMO, and that is what I had done in the past, and I grew up skiing. And my first meeting with Rob, I didn't actually think, oh, I'm going to join the ski industry. I actually thought uh, it would be nice to have a friend in Boulder, because <laughs> I don't know anyone. <laughs> we started talking, and I started thinking, how amazing would it be if I could merge who I am with what I do? And I think some people go their whole lives yearning for that. And I feel very lucky that I've been able to do that, actually. Under Kirsten's leadership, the marketing, sales, and communications function has focused on using data to gain a deeper understanding of our guests, what inspires them, what motivates them, how best to communicate with them, what will keep them coming back. Those insights create a win-win, helping us deliver on what the guest needs and desires and improving their experience, while at the same time driving our business. And the Epic Pass had given us new tools to leverage even more insights. First, we actually knew who our pass holders were and had their contact information. At the time, we knew almost nothing about our lift ticket buyers. Second, each pass had an RFID or radio frequency identification chip in the pass, which allows the lift system to track movement on the mountain and allow skiers and riders to follow that information about themselves through the Epic Mix app. So when I first joined, we had a lot of data actually about our guests. We had transaction data, but we also, because of Epic Mix, we had a lot of data about where you skied, when you skied, how often you skied. And we knew that it was important, but we hadn't exactly figured out how to use it yet to actually drive the business. On the season pass business, you know, we were growing and it was a strong, healthy business, but we started to say, well, what if we started to use some of this data? It's clearly, this is not a mass marketing business. This is a business that requires us to be as targeted and personalized as we can possibly be. What we started to do is segment the guests based on their behavior. So where did you ski and how often did you ski? And did you ski during blackout dates or not blackout dates as an example? And look at uh, your prior ski behavior and group you into one group that had a certain message versus uh, if you skied other types of behavior, we put you in a different group and we started personalizing how we talked to you and, and drew you into that experience. And uh, the results were incredible. And it wasn't just about learning who our skiers were and what their patterns and behaviors were. We started to understand more about how that tied into loyalty to our brand. We started creating a predictive model around, well, how likely are you to renew a season pass based on, we put in, I think, over a hundred different data variables, found the ones that were most highly correlated to your likelihood to renew your season pass. The test and learn approach that Kirsten and team were taking was yielding incredible results and sales of season passes were growing fast. Going all in on data was a key unlock for us to grow our business and our sport. So to me, the transition to the enterprise data warehouse was 
both understanding our business and also being able to communicate and market to our guests. And building and running our enterprise data warehouse, or the EDW, requires specialized skills. Skills like that of Ross Servan, Director of Business Intelligence and Data Enablement. Ross was born and raised in Colorado, and like many Colorado kids, has been skiing since he could remember. I actually learned to ski at Conquistador, which no longer exists, um, but it was Southern Colorado. So yeah, I think I was about three, um, three, four. I remember riding a tow rope and falling down and getting dragged by the tow rope. So, um, but yeah, kind of, I guess I've been skiing all my life. Not only did Ross develop a passion for skiing early on, but he also was a self-confessed computer nerd. So I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew it was gonna be in computers. I guess I was 14 at the time and my parents bought a Packard Bell and I remember staying up all night just playing on it. And I was like, all right, this is, this is fun. Ross and his team are responsible for the day-to-day -day processing of data. Our group is really responsible for our enterprise data warehouse and many of the systems that are connected to that. So we're bringing data in from various source systems across the company, everything from our lodging systems, our point of sale systems, where we're capturing guest ticket and pass purchases, as well as every time someone scans to get on the mountain, um, we bring all that data together and serve that up for various business stakeholders. When you have data flowing in round the clock from multiple systems at geographically dispersed locations on different time zones, it can become quite complex to bring it all together and manage it effectively. Actually running the EDW continues to be um, an exciting challenge we have. We've got 17 resorts that we've integrated now, and that's, that's really full integration of all of the data um, that those resorts are collecting about guest behavior is flowing in. And so now we've got East Coast resorts that are flowing, data's flowing in much earlier, and we've got all the way over to West Coast and you know Whistler, Whistler Blackcomb and the Tahoe area where we're supporting all of that. We've got Keystone, which is night skiing. So we're basically collecting data from you know like 6 a.m. mountain time, and then we start processing kind of around midnight. It takes us roughly three hours to process a full day's data across all of that. We make that a data available as soon as possible, you know, before most people are, are waking up to be able to make decisions and then have that data available for them throughout the day. The outputs from the data warehouse are of critical importance to the success of all facets of our business and pass sales is no exception. Every morning we have a pass report that goes out. Um, right now it's coming out at 3 a.m. Um, and I, I know it's important because I'll get an email if it, if it doesn't come out kind of around that time. They're reviewing to understand, you know, what we're doing day over day, week over week, you know, season to date from a pass perspective. Um, and we break that to down to all sorts of different metrics, where the guests are coming from, you know, have they upgraded, have they downgraded. One of the stakeholders who wakes up to that pass report every morning is Andrew Hagen, Senior Director, Guest Retention on the Advanced Commitment Team. The 3 a.m. daily pass report is a fun wake-up call each day. It's something that I, I've incorporated into my morning routine. Andrew joined Vail Resorts in an effort to find alignment between his personal and professional passions, and he knew from day one it was the right move for him. 
My first day at Vail, um, I, I remember pretty vividly. I was meeting the team for the first time and really starting to just get my arms around. I knew working in a ski industry, this was going to be a great experience. Um, but getting my first projects um, and sitting in on my first meetings and just hearing, you know, the content of the meetings being really around how are we getting guests to have a better experience? How are we delivering and how are we actually getting people on the mountain? It was just a total shell shock for me, I think, in, in thinking about what we do and how fun it is. Andrew is one of the key leaders responsible for running the past business and reflects on how fast that has grown in his time at Vail Resorts. When I first started on the business, uh, I just remember distinctly we were struggling to hit a 300,000 pass holder mark and really trying to figure out how do we crack that nut. And, you know, there were a series of different things we were trying, but ultimately to look at where we're at today, um, you know, just six years later and crossing 900,000 pass holders and continuing to grow. Driving that growth is product innovation. While everyone calls it the Epic Pass, in reality, we don't have just one pass. We have a suite of products under the Epic Pass banner that give flexibility to our guests who want to ski in different ways and access different mountains. Kirsten explains. So when I think about the strategy for our pass lineup, we have a lot of different pass products, but they generally fall into three different categories. We have our Epic Pass lineup that gives access generally to all of our resorts and in some cases partner resorts as well. We have our regional pass lineup like Tahoe, Summit, uh, Whistler Black Home Passes that are really for guests that want to focus on a specific geography. And then we have some specialty passes like the Military Pass, our Epic Australia Pass, College Passes. Another critical component of our pass strategy is the variety of the mountains we offer, the flexibility of choice. We've greatly enhanced those offerings in recent years by growing our owned and operated portfolio from five resorts when we launched the Epic Pass to 37 resorts once we close on the Peak Resorts acquisition. Running a multi-suite product and partnership business is extremely complex, and there is a defined window of time in which to drive it. Because the whole point of our Pass strategy is to get advanced commitment from our guests ahead of the season. For us, you know, there is kind of a tale of different seasons. So there is a spring period where we have that historical launch in the March period, um, and that lasts us right through Memorial Day. Very much focused around our renewal audience and, um, you know, locking in those known guests um, and then transitioning into fall. It's typically when we see a little bit more of our new pass holder sales. I think the fall is definitely the period where we feel the most pressure. You know, the fall is the culmination of like a nine-month selling cycle. Um, where we're closing in on the end of the year, we're working to attract new guests who might we may not have as much data or insights around in terms of how we're communicating with uh, the guests, and we're dealing with different factors around weather and anticipation of um, you know opening days and things like that. So there's a lot of different factors um, that come into play within the fall that you need to be considerate of. So I think for us, um, that typically can be that that more stressful period. Back in the late 1990s, our passes were sold in person. But today, almost all of our passes are sold online. And that is where Erica Thornley, Senior Director of Digital Experience, comes in. Erica's first memory with her team was a uniquely Vail Resorts experience. I remember 
it technically wasn't my first day, but it was prior to my first day where they had the team ski day. So that was memorable of trying to figure out who the other 10 people were in the team as they were all dressed in their ski outfits and goggles and trying to figure out who I was going to follow down the mountain. I had no idea if I was following a coworker or a guest at that point. Erica's team is responsible for the revenue we generate online. And that is no small undertaking. Because we have so much variety in our product choice, it can be an overwhelming amount of information for our guests to digest. Ultimately, we need to guide them to the product that's right for them in the least complex and most efficient way possible. And as our business grows and becomes more complicated, we have to constantly think about how our guests navigate the different paths on our website. A lot of times things can start within your navigation and being able to categorize different products for customers. So if somebody is interested in just a day product, they can go down that path. If they're interested in products that are good for a given region, right, they could go down that path. Um, we on our website have a page called our Compare Passes page, which has all of our products listed. And we have filtering capability that allows our guests to filter based on the resorts that they want to go, um, how long they want to be there, if they want to go over the holiday period to help really refine the product set for them. Um, we actually did a A-B test this past year and redesigned that page. And because I felt that as we started to add more products to our lineup for season passes, that the existing design that we had wasn't going to scale. It was going to be much more challenging for our guests to be able to compare things, to be able to decide what the right product was for them. And the beauty of being able to have a testing tool is that you can prove it through data. And all variables are held the same, except for the fact that you're changing the user experience. So the same amount of traffic, right? Whether it comes from email or media or direct load, it all gets split 50-50. That was the traffic division that we had set up. So half of our traffic got the old design, half of the traffic got the new design, and we were able to actually tell which one was performing better in terms of driving revenue, units, conversion, et cetera. Our competitors started to take notice of the success of our season pass program. But funny enough, one of the first resorts to mimic our approach was not in the United States, but halfway around the world. Pete Brulesauer, who is now our senior vice president and chief operating officer of Australia and Perisher, was one of the industry competitors taking notice of what we were doing at the time. Pete grew up in Perisher learned to ski in Perisher, and now runs Perisher. Pete started to think about how he could replicate what we were doing with the Epic Pass in Australia. I think I learned of the Epic Pass in 2008, and then I visited Colorado in, in January 2009 and uh, hooked up with one of the Australians that uh, works over there. The concept of the Epic Pass for us was you know, super interesting because we were battling with um, a real value problem in Australia. Our uh, Prime Minister at the time had uh, given Aussies you know, heaps of money to try and you know, spur on the economy, but half of them went to New Zealand and uh, no good Aussie likes to be beaten by a New Zealander. So uh, it was a extra big challenge for us. So yeah, we're really, really puzzled as to how to try and get our most loyal skiers back. and. This past product, you know, seemed to be really interesting. So we came back from that trip and 
started to kick things around. Leveraging the Epic Pass concept, Perisher launched the Freedom Pass for the 2012 winter season. The Freedom Pass was uh, transformational, not only for Perisher, but for the Australian ski industry. So we launched it on Father's Day in 2011. And my counterparts in the Australian ski industry called it Black Sunday. They were taken aback with the move. And within two weeks, all of the Australian ski resorts had followed suit with a similar product. And the response from the industry was, you know, one of shock. The response from our guests was one of sheer amazement and delight. You know, people were doing you know, crazy things to get themselves into in front of a computer to buy one of these things because they didn't know whether the sale was going to last for an hour, a, a day or a week. So we successfully created a, a great deal of urgency to buy the product. Understanding that continuing to grow the number of Freedom Pass holders was going to require giving greater value to guests and more flexibility, Pete had an idea. 2014. I wrote to Rob and, uh, you know, in a bit of a cheeky way, I guess, you know, we didn't have many pass holders down here and I knew he had a lot, but I wrote to him and said, you know, we've got a great product called Freedom Pass and, you know, we'd like to add the Epic Pass benefits to that and we could send our guests over to you in, in the Northern Hemisphere winter and uh, we'd reciprocate by giving all of your North American guests access to Perisher. One day I was driving back up the hill in summer from Jindabyne to Perisher and uh, the phone rang and I pulled over at the big surge tower that all Australian skiers would know. Took the call and looking out over Lake Jindabyne, Rob said to me that he, he didn't think the deal was great and wasn't that interested in the deal I'd proposed, but he wondered whether I thought the Perisher shareholders would be interested to sell the resort to Val Resorts. That's one conversation I'll never forget. My first reaction when I learnt that there was interest from Val Resorts to acquire Perisher was really uh, disbelief. Whilst we're a big resort in, in Australia, I was pretty sure that no one from Val Resorts had ever been down here, knew what the place looked like and what the experience was like. Pete was right. I had never been to Perisher, never skied in Australia, but I knew how important Australians were to our North American resorts. We saw how much benefit our guests saw in having multiple resort options in the U.S. on one pass. Could we do the same thing down under? It was super exciting because we'd been operating ourselves on our on our own, um, you know, trying to do the best we could down here, and we thought we'd been doing a good job. And to have our resorts reach out and uh, say they were interested in acquiring us was, um, yeah, it was a real pat on the back. And with the acquisition came the launch of the epic Australia Pass, a watershed moment for the Australian ski industry. It was a product that gave people a full season of skiing in Australia, and then another full season of skiing in the US, all for the same low price. The day the Epic Australia Pass was launched, you know, I think there was great relief from our guests that the great pricing that we'd used with the Freedom Pass had been continued with the Epic Australia Pass. Back in North America, we also saw the emergence of new competitors in the Mountain Collective Pass and the Max Pass. And a few years later, 
we saw the formation of Altera and the announcement of the Icon Pass. Stacy Poole has been with Vail Resorts for just over nine years. Having previously come from Nike, Stacy was searching for a company that had a similar culture driven by a passion and energy for the product. Vail Resorts was the only company that I actually applied for and waited for because I wanted that connection back to the product like I had at Nike. And I would have to say that I thought Nike was passionate. It does not even get close to the passion that exists at all of our resorts and in this building. It's unbelievable. Stacy has been in a variety of roles that have spanned e-commerce, Epic Mix, Season Pass, our chief of staff, and now is vice president of the advanced commitment team. Rather than concerned by the announcement of a new serious competitor in North America, Stacy was energized. I do remember when Altera was announced. Um, it was, I think, April of 2017. And number one, I would say that that was so exciting for us because our company is so competitive and so passionate about what we do. It just created this fire in us that was like, great, this is actually going to up our game. Of course, there's a little bit of nerves that go along with that, but it was more like, great, we're finally going to have a competitor that's going to push us out of our comfort zone, push us to do better, push us to innovate. So I do remember that. The second thing I definitely remember was when Icon, the actual pass, was announced in January of 2018. And immediately when it was announced, we all huddled in Highland Conference Room to start assessing and we did that very quickly. It was fast, but I will say too that like the reason I really remember that moment was it's just the best example of when the teams come together here um, to to drive change and drive action. And so I'm always so proud of those moments just because it's just amazing what the teams are able to pull off in such a quick time. So yeah, I definitely remember those two periods. It was a unique moment for us having new competition that largely confirmed our decades-long approach to the season pass market. But also a reminder that we have to always be mindful of what's going on around us and use our competitors to get better, to adjust, to always be providing more value to our guests. And at the core, the benefit we provide with the Epic Pass is making skiing more accessible. Making skiing accessible to everyone is a huge priority for us. And we've done that in a lot of different ways. One of it obviously was when Epic Pass launched in 2008, it made it more accessible just with that product launch. But over time, we've added resorts in different regions to diversify our portfolio, offer skiers across the globe access to different mountains, different terrain, different experiences. We introduced Epic School Kids a program that offers free skiing in Colorado, Utah, and Whistler Blackcomb to any kids from kindergarten to fifth grade. So when we think about the future, it's like, how do we start getting children to ski more and to love it in the same way that adults or the older generation loves it? And so we've seen a tremendous growth in that program. In 2018, we launched the Military Epic Pass lowering the price of the pass to $99 for active and retired members of the military in the US, Canada, and Australia. Once again, people thought we were crazy 
and we had so many folks from the armed forces rush to buy the pass, worried that it was a mistake or that we would quickly take away the product. But for us, it was a way to open our doors to those who truly serve others and honor our company's founders from the 10th Mountain Army Division. The military pass brought in a whole new population of skiers, which was amazing. And then we continue to keep adding, we've added partners, we've added other resorts, but the big opportunity now is really going global, continuing to expand globally and find out where are the biggest opportunities, whether it is in Australia, whether it's in Japan, Europe, New Zealand, to connect our resorts and and allow the people within those regions to either ski within the region for a very reasonable price, so again, making it accessible within the region, or having people come internationally. So our past products have certainly transformed the industry and made it more accessible to more people. But we don't just sell season pass products. Many of our guests still purchase lift tickets at our ticket windows. And those tickets are fairly expensive relative to our other products. But that is intentional. We provide the greatest discounts to those that purchase in advance of the season. That was our deal with our guests. But it doesn't mean that all guests understand that dynamic. Rebecca McDonald knows all too well the reaction of guests to our window ticket prices. Our guest reaction to window ticket pricing when they come here to Vail sometimes is shocking. But when they walk up to the window and they realize that they are going to pay $189, $199, $209, whatever the price point might be, their immediate reaction typically is to be shocked at the cost of skiing. They start to think about what else can they do to reduce that cost. And not many of our guests actually pay that price. Many of our guests plan ahead, and many of our guests buy online. And even if they buy 48 hours prior to their arrival, they'll get a better price. There's a lot of challenges then to help a guest recover from that shock. And part of what we do in product sales and services is help them understand what our pricing strategy is. And I would say many of our guests are also maybe shocked but then are comfortable making the purchase because they want the experience here at Vail and the price paid for the experience is worth it. A fair critique of our season pass strategy is that it has been tailored toward a season and to those who can ski many days during a season. Our season pass offered a discount for buying early and also for buying a lot of days. But what about people who just wanna ski a few days during a season? What are we offering to that more infrequent skier? That's where our new Epic Day Pass comes in. We know there's some barriers to getting our guests to commit to a pass in advance. And we've done a lot of research on this and the barriers to committing to a pass, there's two very clear barriers. Barrier number one is I don't ski enough days to justify a season pass. And barrier number two is the cost, or it's too expensive. And so Epic Day Pass was created very specifically to address those two barriers. The idea with Epic Day Pass is it has access to all of our resorts, 
but you can customize it as a guest. You can pick the number of days that you want to ski. You can pick whether you want to ski holidays or not. And just like a pass, you make a commitment in advance of the ski season. And in exchange for that, you save a significant amount of money off of lift tickets, up to 50% off of lift tickets. That's why we call it Epic for Everyone. Because with the introduction of the Epic Day Pass, we have a pass for every guest, whether you ski one day or every day during a season. And once again, we are taking a risk, offering people 50% off lift ticket prices to buy just one day of skiing is not an easy business decision. So why do we do it? Because we are thinking about the long-term, the long-term of our business and the long-term of our communities and our industry. Getting people to purchase their skiing in advance is worth the investment. The investment in driving long-term loyalty from our guests. Today, our company and the business of skiing is seen differently than 10 years ago. Snowfall and weather still impact conditions and can impact our business. But we are no longer just snow farmers. We are growing loyalty. Rather than waking up and hoping it snows, we wake up every day figuring out how to improve the experience we provide and build long-term relationships with our guests. And Epic has come to mean so much more to our company than just a pass. Because Epic is also defined as a journey. And what a journey it's been. And the journey has really just begun. I want to thank everyone interviewed on our episode today and their teams for the work they do driving our business. Chris, Kirsten, Pete, Stacy, Andrew, Erica, Rebecca, and Ross. As always, please send your comments on today's episode to podcast at valeresorts.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>